My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is social networks and relationships for the hybrid workplace. Our guest today is Professor Claire Gubbins, who's a professor of organization behavior and HRM. Previously, Claire was a Fulbright Scholar at Carnegie Mellon University, an Associate Editor for Human Resource Development Quarterly, Director of the DCU Executive MBA Programme, a Senior Research Fellow on the Irish Centre for Manufacturing Research University, an Industry Project on Tacit Knowledge Management, Learning and Systems. She is published in many respected human resource management journals, and her work has also been picked up in such media and practitioner outlets as the Irish Times, Training and Development Magazine, and Irish Business Focus. She is co-author of two books, Learning and Development in Organizations, Strategy, Evidence, and Practice with Oak Tree Press, and Learning and Development Effectiveness in Organizations, an Integrated Systems Informed Model of Effectiveness with Palgrave. Claire is a recipient of the prestigious Fulbright Scholarship. She received the DCU President's Award for Excellence in Teaching Innovation in 2013 and was a finalist in 2011, 2012, 2015 and 2018. She has over 20 years experience consulting with industry nationally and internationally in areas such as knowledge management through people and organization systems, leadership assessment and development centers, leadership development, human resource management skills, training and design delivery and evaluation. Claire's research interests center around the domain of learning and development, specifically investigating determinants of tacit knowledge circulation as a key process for learning. The role of social capital, social networks and relationship components in facilitating learning processes and evidence-based research and practice as a mechanism for continuous learning and in terms of its influence on advancing the learning and development function and the status of learning and HR professionals into the future. Professor Claire Gobbins, welcome to the Workplace podcast. Hi, William. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. I have wonderful memories of you. So I was swatting up uh, for my preparation for this podcast and we met all the way back in March 2011 in Boston Scientific and you were presenting your research on social capital. All right. And you were so good that two or three years later, I in Dublin, I think it was 2000, October 2014 in my notes, I met you again. And I remember contacting you um, as part of my 10-year celebration, say, listen, you were so influential for me because I really 
really admired your presentation style. You're authentic, you're engaging and, you know, um, really uh, insightful in terms of your research. And I learned so much um, from you and our listeners are going to learn so much from you today. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, William. And uh, no pressure there at all. Um, I'm a little bit shocked that you were there in Boston Scientific in 2011. I remember the event. I didn't realise you were there and I had forgotten, as in, I didn't realise that you've known me that long. <laughs> so, yeah, you've, you've kind of caught me out there. So, uh, yeah. And, and we, impl- we implemented our <laughs> learnings there because you were talking about social capital. You're talking about social relationships and weak ties. So we'll talk about yeah. that later on. And then uh, a while later, then you invited me to be a mentor on the MBA program in DCU. Yeah, absolutely. Using my weak ties because, yeah, absolutely. I remember I invited you to, to help us out in the, the, the MBA program for sure. We were doing a big, it was a new thing, a career development element to, to the program and um, bringing the outside in, uh, practitioners like yourself to engage with the MBAs and, and help mentor them with regard to their careers and, and then help them analyze their strengths and their weaknesses, opportunities for development. It was very successful. It's it's still ongoing. Yeah. So I was activating to quote you my week time to bring in relevant um mentors for the program. Yeah. So thanks for that. Well you know what it's great that you you practice what you preach which is quite good. <laughs> So again, in terms of today, then our topic is on social networks and relationships for the hybrid workplace. So <laughs> this conversation could go anywhere. You've done a huge amount of research. You did an article uh, not so long ago with the Irish Times in terms of how that tacit knowledge can sometimes maybe leave organizations or that informal learning, you know, uh, isn't there because of, um, I suppose, remote uh, working. So wh- where do you think is the best place to start, Claire? Um, I, well, I'm happy to start kind of an all three spaces at once. If yeah, you, I, the Ar- okay. Irish Times article, yeah, became a bit of a that topic became a bit of a piece going around in my head at the time because I had done a big um, multinational research project with uh, what was at the time the Irish Centre for Manufacturing Research, and it was a project that we did. Um, post the Celtic Tiger in the recessionary times. And it was around tacit knowledge and tacit knowledge loss. So these were big American multinationals. They had significant knowledge management systems. Yeah. When the recession hit, people were let go. The organizations had to restructure. A big gap emerged in, in the companies that was of real concern to them. And, and the reason that I got involved was that knowledge was lost. It had either left the building by virtue of redundancies or it had been moved around the building and therefore was more difficult for the people who needed it to access it by virtue of restructuring. And what struck me is that pandemic aside, when various conversations were happening in the media by various companies about, you know what, we will remain virtual or hybrid. What struck me was um, the uh, parallel with the post-recession company gap in terms mm. of loss and the social relationships um, with those people moving around and this situation that we're, we're still currently in, basically pointing at if people are working remotely 
or if they're only in the office some of the time, it does alter social relationships. Kin to, in my head, it's akin to restructuring, moving people from department A to B, from bottom floor to top floor. Uh, now, in this situation, it's about people being physically at home rather than the office, so they're not co-located. And there are implications of that for social relationships, whether you're starting to build new relationships like a new hire or a graduate, whether you're trying to maintain social relationships when you're an established member of the workforce or and then the, the knock-on consequences for uh, learning the way we do we learn from other people we learn from talking to people we learn from working alongside people um, and then the further again knock-on implications for innovation and all of that stuff that makes businesses um, successful so it came from there and you know at the moment then you know there's a huge amount to talk about you know, returning to the workplace then, right? But also, if that's not um, achievable, then, you know, how do you how do you replace that informal learning then, you know? Because it, it's that whole, you know, um, chemistry that you have with people. It's it's kind of reading the, the body language, you know, and that space that we hold for each other, you know? So how do you replace that informal learning if it's not doable, in the workplace in a physical environment yeah so i'm hoping we will all have the opportunity to get back to the office in some way shape or form obviously yeah but but e- either way whether we end up fully back in the office or not and if if covid aside there is a conversation happening about about a more about a future of work where we're hybrid so yeah. your question is relevant to the, the fact that a lot of organizations are considering um, and a lot of employees are looking for a more flexible workplace and uh, and a more hybrid offering um, to enable balancing work and life. So it's a very valuable question when we think about a future of work that could very well look like that. So informal learning um, happens best when we are co-located because it is about um, learning from others, learning with others, learning alongside others, observing others. And a lot of work that people do is not, um, that type of of learning is not easily transferred to the online um, fora uh, and the technology that we have available. Now, there is exceptions. um, Yeah. As there are, there are exceptions, but a lot is, is not. Um, so we do, number one is for organizations and relevant people in organizations like learning and development and senior managers of simply being aware of that fact and, and be more conscious of, of the fact that it's not simply a case of today people work at home three days of the week and then they work in the office two days of the week. And if we do that, then the informal learning can take place. No, we've also got to consider whom is in the office co-located at any given time. Are they Are they mixing with? the people that they need to mix with and building relationships with the people that they need to have relationships with for that informal learning to be valuable. Um, Perhaps if you think maybe the person that is working from home on a Thursday is a person that is, um, has a massive amount of, of, of knowledge in their heads, tacit knowledge, valuable, useful tacit knowledge, and that person is at home on a Thursday and the person that the persons or teams that they really need to engage with that could benefit from their knowledge 
are in the office and perhaps the twain never physically meet and those opportunities for those conversations, informal, ad hoc um, conversations where sparks fly quite yeah. simply where that, 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 that could get lost. So it's, it's about a bit of consciousness. It's about thinking through more scientifically almost, being too academic about it. Yeah. Who needs to be physically co-located and when. I would even go so far, it's about trying to better understand the social networks in your organization and whom has what knowledge in your organization as a means, as a, a more strategic mechanism, a more systematic mechanism to figure out whom do we need to have connected and when. To give you a simple example, um, on one of the um, a project that I was on, I analyzed the social networks of um, an organization and I was also looking at tacit knowledge flow. And at the time, this particular company had moved, restructured um, its breaks, something simple, where which resulted in certain groups of technicians no longer being in a position to have their tea break at the same time as another group of technicians, which they previously would have had their tea break with. Yeah. The result for the company was, was quite negative because those technicians didn't just have tea together. They um, solved problems over tea and then they go back to work and they'd be able to fix the broken machine or whatever it was uh, because they spoke to another technician with a slightly different angle, perspective, experience. Yeah. Knowledge and then that helped them fix the problem. So that simple maneuver of changing tea break structure is a bit like us not thinking about how we change who works from home and when and who works in the office and when. So um, that's, there's, there, there are some nuggets I could go on, but I, I, I better pause there and see if that's... If Clear, <laughs> like because I was going back to the Irish Times article there because there is a direct correlation between that uh, informal learning and productivity and high performance. Isn't there? Is there is there research by Wharton uh, on that? Was it Professor yeah. Michael Park? Yeah, Wharton Business School, um, in collaboration with Microsoft, did a study that found that during the con- the the pandemic and the remote working, the virtual working people's productivity was the same or higher, but innovation had fallen. Okay. Um, So that's very interesting. You know, um, it's very interesting in the sense that it highlights that people can be trusted and they can produce and they do produce when remote working. But the innovation is, is the problem. And it's not that people aren't trying to be innovative or can't be innovative. It's simply that innovation is made, is based on sharing tacit knowledge. It's it's grounded in people learning each other's tacit knowledge, combining it to generate new knowledge. Um, so th- those casual conversations at coffee uh, in the canteen, um, water cooler, uh, whatever, those casual conversations pre-post a meeting where somebody says something in a meeting and then after the meeting, I bump into somebody and I say, hey, listen, you know what would work there? Those counters, they're the little nuggets that lead to that generative work that enables businesses to go beyond the status quo and doing the same thing year in, year out and and innovate and generate and and do something new. Um, So it wasn't that that, those results of that piece of work were were of no surprise um, to me because social relations, social networks have been, 
shaken up um, and it's harder to maintain relationships or at least it's not the same way we don't we're not we can't use the same way to maintain relationships in a virtual working remote working context as we would have done in a physically co-located context so yeah because you you're raising a number of challenges for me or questions and i'm really fascinated by well, how do you identify who are those key people, you know, in the social network that these are the key relationships that we need to keep? Because if we lose these people, not only do we lose the tacit knowledge, but these are the people who connect people to others. So, oh, you know, I, um, you know, I have a question. Well, actually, Claire is the expert on that or result or David or who else in your 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 environment there. So. How do you identify that within your organization? Is it through managers? Do you use software? You know, because how do you measure the quality of a relationship? You know, yeah. if you have strong ties or weak ties, as we were talking earlier on in the podcast. So you can tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there is sophisticated and systematic and advanced ways of doing it. And then there's there's more simple ways of doing it. So it depends on, on what an organization or an individual wants to do. So at at a fundamental level, if it's if it's you, the individual that's just curious about where you fit in a network, you can do. Um, and I've run many sessions with businesses, uh, with leaders, for example, who want to analyze their own social networks for their own personal development or leadership development needs. And in, in that situation, it's about mapping out whom you're connected to for a given objective. So whatever your okay. personal objective might be, then if you're going up a notch in your business and as a business you're trying to figure out oh my god if we lose this person there's going to be a problem then um you can you can do the exact same mapping exercise at a business level i guess key to this mapping is identifying what is the objective of this this social network like are we concerned about knowledge loss are we concerned about um innovation not happening what are we concerned about what's the objective and then you can map it all You, you can you can do a map you can do it manually, but at business level, that's a bit more cumbersome. There is software called Payak, P-A-J-E-K. And if you're if you're you don't have to be very savvy at technology or, or software to be able to use it. Um and it it provides you with like a little, it looks like a, a spider's web diagram, frankly, of these are all the people in the organization. This is whom can whom is connected to whom. Um, you obviously, in order to generate this, you have to ask people questions about whom they're connected to. Um, and then by looking at that, you start to see which departments are talking to whom, whom are the people that connect departments to each, each other's departments. I'm going to plug Rob Cross here. So for somebody who'd like a little bit more uh, insight into how what this uh, would look like, considering this is a podcast and you can, I can't demonstrate it, if if you if you Google Rob Cross, um, he does this type of work with uh, companies and generates these types of maps, and you can see, um, you know, how different departments, different people who are knowledge boundary spanners, who connect people, connect departments, whom are outliers, and you can start to see well, whom are the people if they leave, we're in trouble, or if we let them go, or if they're rem- working remotely. For, the, for purposes of this conversation, if they're working remotely four days of the week, um, whom are they less likely to engage with that needs access to their years of experience and knowledge? Um, and again, that exercise that I briefly mentioned about the tea breaks, 
that with that company. So that's what I was doing with that particular organization was effectively mapping the social network of a certain number of departments in the organization to try to identify where where the knowledge, the people with valuable knowledge were, um, where the connectors were, uh, where the gaps were, and then what the company needed to do to try and resolve those issues. But for those listening to your podcast, uh, William, the PyX software is there. Um, yeah. but it, you know, it's it, you could try to use that yourself um, as one step in, in trying to analyze where you're at. Yeah, I remember seeing one of your presentations before, and it was like that spider network, but there's a lot of threads coming mm-hmm. into one person. It was like a heat map. Yeah. So like if there was 50 threads coming out, you're like, this is a key person. They have so many connections then. And, you know, I suppose the objective, you could say, you could even measure the objective could be the quality of, of each of those relationships. There are strong ties or weak ties. So obviously the ticker that that thread is, uh, I suppose. Yeah. The, the and and that's, a very, that's a very good point. The quality piece, um, because it's not the connection, it's the quality and what's at the end of that quality. So, um that's sometimes what we miss like you have 3000 connections on linkedin you have whatever number of followers on twitter and all the, all of these types of of connections but that's all there are their connections if the relationship quality doesn't match what it is that you need from the relationship then it it, it doesn't play out very well so there's there's lots of research work like a lot of research work around behind all this and the results vary somewhat depending on whether your objective is knowledge sharing, leadership development, innovation. But a few key things always jump out. If you're looking to generate something new, then you need weak ties because our weak connections are basically people whom are more likely to be less like like us, likely to be in social circles that are different from what we're in ourselves. Difference leads you to diversity of perspectives, knowledge, education, background, interests. And it's that combinations of diversity that leads to the new knowledge, the generative work, the innovation. Whereas if you're looking for something that requires a degree of trust, closeness, strong, a strong relationship between you and another person, something that requires, as I said, trust and closeness and um and your ask could possibly listen could you help me out could you exert a degree of influence for me could you put in a good word for me where the person's name is almost on the line for for you or in the case of at a business level if you're simply trying to get the job done and you need people to understand your language and work with you quickly and effectively and efficiently i mean down to a surgeon a a surgeon in the certain in doing that type of of understanding of the other person then you need a strong relationship strong relationships the work gets done people trust each other they know each other they understand each other they're willing to share they're willing to influence they're willing to 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 do something on the other person's behalf so it's about knowing you're connected it's about knowing the quality of the relationships for the purpose of for the goal that you're trying to achieve and it's it's you know, now that you mentioned that, if what's coming to me is that a law of unintended consequences. So, for example, 
like the technicians, um, tea breaks changing there, you know, something small can have huge repercussions in terms of innovation or productivity we're talking about. And then I, I saw a report on BBC this morning, like that Apple and Facebook and different companies then there was a bit of a revolt going on in terms of, well, what does it mean to return uh, to the workplace and, and how will that look like, you know? And just in terms of organization design, from my perspective, then there is sometimes a potential for a lot of missteps, isn't there, in terms of a little tweak here, but then what's the knock-on effect of that? So are the right people in the, in the that we need to really allow that social environment to flourish so we can have that informal learning? Because... You were saying, was it 23% was an increase to formal learning, but informal learning? So that Irish Times article picks that up Yeah, and correct me there. Yeah, so um, there's been two different studies done uh, that looked at how people perform on the of if they engage in informal learning behaviors. So informal learning behaviors are basically... Think of those people who, who, who engage in working with others, learning from others, talking to others, asking other people's questions, trying to seek out other people's knowledge and, and use it, um, observing others. So they're all informal learning behaviors. They're things that some people do subconsciously, um, yeah. but, but that's how we learn without being on a formal training or education program. And basically these two pieces of work highlighted that those who engage in informal learning behaviors outperform by about 32% those who do not engage in informal learning behaviors. And if you marry that with a kind of a more anecdotal um, numbers that suggest that about 70 to 90% of, of um, what we learn is, is from work-related experiences. All of that is pointing to how we need to be with each other. Uh, we need to be beside each other. We need to be talking to each other um, in order to, to learn at that level and in order to combine tacit knowledge with each other so that that generative work happens, so that that innovation happens, so that we become, as individuals and businesses, constantly adaptable. Um, and agile in how we learn and what we learn. And that's, I mean, agile learning, adaptability, they're big words that are, are thrown out there the whole time. And the foundation of all of that is, is learning. Um, organizations need to hire people who are, I mean, just think of what we've been through. Yeah. We need it to be very adaptable as, as individuals, as teams, as organizations. And going forward, uh, into the future, whatever it might look like, um, we need organizations need to hire people who have that adaptability, who know how to seek the knowledge that they need for themselves when they need it, from where they need it. That they they make their connections, they talk to the right people, they know what they need to learn themselves, and they go get it because it is not possible for any organization um, to be constantly in a position of predicting what every employee needs to know before they need to know it. We're, we, we can't do that level of prediction. But, what, but if you have individual employees who start to identify the gaps themselves and then go after that learning need and, and chase it up and, and are adaptable and agile enough to do that, 
then those people help the organization be adaptable. So it goes from individual adaptability to organizational adaptability. And key to that is those social relationships and uh, the tacit knowledge that people hold and engaging in, in, in those informal um, learning behaviors. Um, it's, I think, like you, you, were, you were talking about the, the conversations happening this morning, um, it's, it has interested me that at the beginning of the, uh, the early days of the pandemic, quite an, the narrative um, for some organizations is, you know what, people are productive, so we're going to stay virtual. We're going to remain remote working. But more recently, the narrative has changed again, where there's now organizations coming out going, no, we're going back to the office. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few others who are somewhere in the middle saying, no, we're going to be hybrid. Um, and I don't know what what's happening in, in all of these organizations behind the scenes that's leading them to this conclusion. But like you're saying with regard to your, your knowledge around organization design, is whatever's going on behind the scenes is vital because recognizing that whatever step we we take from my perspective and what we're talking about today, that step needs to consider if we go back to the office, what are the consequences? Okay, it'll be the same as was pre-COVID, so perhaps that'll be okay, but then there is now conversations about employee well-being, work-life balance, because people have become accustomed to uh, remote working and the benefits that go with it. So if we go hybrid, what are the consequences? We can't just simply go hybrid. We need to think about, like you said, from an organizational design perspective, what does that hybrid look like? Whom is positioned where and when? What knowledge do they possess? How does that affect the social relationships, just like the tea break? Um, we, so we need to think through it in a much more considered way so that hybrid works for us as well as works for us in terms of innovation and generative work at the same level as remote working did in terms of productivity. Yeah, and it, it, for me, when you're working on the organization design piece, you have to work at a system level. But then you need to figure out on, you know, a micro level, then who are the key people here? So if you make it change the system, how will that affect that person there? And I think that's going to be one of the key challenges. If there's a critical juncture here, that there's going to be a lot of talent flight if organizations don't get this right. There's a lot of talk now about, you know, organizations, as you said, here to be adaptable, but it's that learning culture there. But if you don't have the teachers in place to teach others or to make those connections, then well, then, you know, um, an organization could easily struggle to replace that knowledge and replace those people because there's a betting in process as well. And you talked about trust. So it is really about that co-creation of how do we get this right? And if we make a move in terms of one, I I suppose, system design, what is that that effect on that? Yeah. And we, I, I did a project recently on uh, virtual internships. Um, oh, yeah. In cooperation with um, DCU Educational Trust, DCU Access Programme, uh, Delight. And it was a project with um, uh, Dave Collins in, in DCU Business School. Yeah. Um, and so this is a project about virtual internships, but basically about virtual working. Um, and it was done during the pandemic 
about organizations who had tried to uh, embrace uh, hiring interns regardless of, mm. of the remote, remote nature of working and try to embed them into the organization, help them learn about the culture, help them learn about the organization, get them working, get them up to speed, get them, get them involved in projects, the same as they would on any new hire. Yeah which lots of companies are still doing now and will have to continue doing in the next few months, especially graduates. And two of the top three challenges that emerge from those organizations with regard to bringing those interns on were to do with helping interns build social networks from zero, get to know people in the organization and get to know each other. Yeah. Um, because of all those knock-on benefits of social networks um, yeah. in terms of being part of the organization's social network. And the second challenge was with regard to the interns learning and yeah. access to the knowledge of experts in the business and sharing their own knowledge. So in addition to your point of knowledge loss and, and people leaving organizations or their knowledge being difficult to locate because they're remote or because they're they're virtual. You've also got the knowledge transfer problem of, um, or at least a challenge of new recruits being brought in with valuable, up-to-date, uh, innovative knowledge that is so beneficial to organizations. And it's going to be, no use is going to be made of it if we can't find the mechanisms to help them um, embed, connect to people um, and share what they know. So, I mean, that project, the report on that project is free. It's out there on the web um, on, um, on D2, on the, Learn, the Leadership and Talent Institute webpage. So anyone can read the results. But if you read the results and read the report in that context, it's, it's valuable for everybody um, from the perspective of identifying strategies for trying to move the dial in improving how we try to deal with the challenge of relationship building and maintaining social networks while virtual or hybrid working and how we try to move the dial and improve how we deal with um, helping people learn from and with each other and share tacit knowledge while virtual or hybrid working. So I think there's some good practical for your audience strategies in there that they that that, that organizations and individuals can draw on. Thanks for that uh, resource there, Claire. And I know from speaking to new hires, um, where they be experienced employees or interns like my nephew uh, Keen or graduates that I worked on in, in different um, programs there there is that challenge yet that remains is how do we get airtime with people because we're so busy because we're in Zoom meetings everybody's collaborating and everybody's trying to schedule in those informal uh, moments is there any kind of strategies there in terms of our or those people listening in that might work for them? Yeah, um, so it's about trying to almost make the informal, that the stuff that used to happen informally when we're all co-located. It's, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's trying to, but we have to be careful. It's trying to look at ways of making that more formal. Uh, so 
scheduling meetings into diaries, um, almost scheduling time for conversations before and after work-related meetings for time for those informal chats um, yeah. and and make uh, splitting people into breakout rooms as though they were just congregated in the corridor before or after a meeting. Um, yeah. it's, it's almost trying to think about, well, when would these types of events normally have happened when we were in the office co-located? Yeah. And how can we mimic that? But I said in, in my remark there, we have to be careful because the benefits of social relationship and social networks are best realized due to the informality. So a formal social network is actually the hierarchy in any organization. And we know from tons of research that a hell of a lot, if not more work gets done, not through hierarchies and organizations, but through informal social networks. So we can't, and I can't say, let's just make everything that used to be informal social networking and turn it formal because work that way we might as well just refer to the hierarchy so we can't do that but I've um, come across both with teaching the MBA um, participants in DCU business school which I do and also from that virtual internship project and a conversation that came up in in a few of those cases that I, I really really liked which is some of us are still trying to adjust to virtual working, remote working. Yeah. And in that regard, we we arrange every conversation as a scheduled Zoom meeting or a scheduled Teams meeting. When in fact, there is no reason we can't, in some cases, just pick up the phone and ring a person. Yeah. When we can't see them face to face. Or if we go hybrid, if we're at home and, and they're in the office. Um, or if we're working remotely there in the office. So it's, it's it's a bit of a psychological move almost on our part for those of us who are not as familiar yeah. working. And this insight came from a person who was who has been remote working long before COVID. And it yeah. came from a manager who had tried to make the 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 um who tried to mimic the informal conversations. Yeah. Uh, they would have in the office and, and trying to make those informal, but in the remote uh, in the remote context. So simply, uh, William, if I tomorrow had a question in my head, rather than sending you an invite for a formal meeting on Zoom, um, that I simply pick up the phone and, and and ring you because it's a quick it's a quick question. It might take five seconds for you to answer it, and then then we hang up. And if you're not there, you just ring me back when it suits you. Yeah. It's, it's trying to almost psychologically start to recognize that not everything has to be scheduled and formal and recognizing in the office, I would have popped down to that person's desk or I would have popped down to their office or I would have bumped into them. So maybe I just need to translate that into, I'll just ring them. And when they get it, they'll ring me back. Um, now, of course, it's easier for them to avoid you. Yeah. <laughs> on uh, as compared to if you turn up at their desk but at least that would be one mechanism that I've seen that would help try to maintain a degree of informality which is very beneficial when it comes to the social relationships that deliver the most value 
And I've done a lot of coaching on this uh, recently, Claire, and done a lot of facilitation around this, especially with 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 young people or new hires that I was talking about there. And you know, often when I talk about network, right, it's how to expand your net of people that you know. But you have to work at it. You have to make that effort as well. You know, instead of waiting there for the phone to ring or or whatever, you know. And sometimes I I've um, we've heard conversations. Well, I don't know how to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know. So again, it's about you know being prepared to say, listen. You know, who else would be good for me to talk to? You know, how are decisions made around here? Who are the people that are really good at? learning from you know and that learning piece of who are the social connectors you know so again it is like you remember that if you're asking these questions then you know and this is to our listeners then is that showing that you're eager you're enthusiastic you're engaged you get to build trust you know people know you're competent in in some way or they, they get a kind of a sense of your character there and then again in terms of that then i suppose if you're struggling you know find out information then they said listen who else would be good to talk to you know um if i can't get that person was it for me if i'm to work with that person what's the best way for me to contact them or you know what you probably better have to send that person a text or or never contact them between nine o'clock and eleven o'clock so they're at meetings every day mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have known that mm-hmm. whereas if you call someone in their department then and you're going to go oh this is what you need to know actually you know what they're going to do a school drop or something or whatever you know so again it's about all that networking is really to utilize that in terms of what do we need to know about the context in terms of that individual or department or even as an organization how do we communicate uh, around here and sometimes i would have done that before covid is talk to people about that but i think especially when you're talking about there just make it ad hoc pick up the phone why not Mm. you know and I, I, I might be well invested in, 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 in understanding social networking, but I thought that was one of the most simple things for, for me to do. But again, I'll add a cautionary note in that, like you say, a lot of people I've come across, while I can talk to them and do talk to them about, well, how to analyze the network that you have and what are the pros and cons of the network do you have and how do you develop it and how do you make it better and where are the gaps and et cetera. The question that, that often comes back to me, to your point, Willem, is how? How do I, how do I initiate that conversation? How do I get to that person? Like for some people, that's a very comfortable step to make. They don't mind ringing a stranger or, or code or sending an email to make a connection for some people there that's that's easy for some people that's uh, that's a struggle they cannot figure out how do you do that what what would be the basis on which I could possibly just ring somebody or email somebody I say how do I start this conversation um so I think people could very much benefit from advice in 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 that regard and Two things that strike me in some of those questions that have come up clearly to you and to me is people think they're asking for something, that they're putting a demand on a person, that they are um, being needy, um, that they're requiring the other person to do them a favor, 
or take time from their busy schedules to do them a fa- to do something for them. And that that doesn't sit comfortable with people. So the way I position that is to identify, think about it and ask yourself, well, what have you got to offer this person as part of that conversation that they may need or may be interested in knowing about you that could benefit them or be of value to them now or in the future? Or what could you offer in return for their advice, knowledge, help, information or whatever it is? So make it more of a conversation about what you can do for each other, a reciprocal arrangement as opposed to I'm trying to get something from you. People don't, not everybody is comfortable with that. And then the second thing which came up from research work and from talking to that that project with the, the 10 American multinationals, like I spoke to about 150 people from the top to the bottom of, of 10 organizations. And there was um, nearly 2000 survey responses. And one of the other reasons that people don't like asking other people questions for information, for knowledge. Yeah. Don't want to appear in their language stupid. Yeah. Not able to do their job. If they hired me, I should know this already. So they don't want to let on. I don't know what this acronym stands for. I don't know how to fix this particular problem. And that sense of I'm going to appear incompetent or stupid or I'm going to be laughed at or I'm going to be ridiculed hinders them from asking the very questions that would enable them to access more knowledge, that would enable them to learn and be even better at their job, their problem solving, their innovation, etc. because of that, that inherent fear. And I think at an organizational level, there's a lot of emphasis placed on pushing people to share what they know and not enough emphasis placed on giving people the skills and encouraging people to ask questions and seek out the knowledge they don't know and that that is acceptable. That is how we learn. That's what makes you slower in the short term, but better in the long term in terms of how you perform. And part of that skill, so one skill is in terms of asking questions initiating conversations, engaging in conversations. And it's also about identifying whom do I go to in this organization? Whom can help me, connect me or give me the answer or give me the knowledge? Um, that was That's a, a second um, tip I would give to, to those who are struggling, I guess, with how to use and engage with their social networks for better benefit. Yeah, I'm reading a book uh, by Constant Locke of uh, the London School of Economics, and it's Making Your Voice Heard. And she speaks about this then in terms of rather than focusing on your fears, focus on the goal, right? So in this example here, it would be, you know, framing it as a learning conversation. So I want to learn to be successful in my role what would be the best way to do that? So it's not a lovely opener that you're showing people then to say, listen, I'm eager to learn and who else would be good to learn from in that perspective? Um, So I definitely would recommend that book and she's going to appear on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. But there's also this thing that happens then as well, that imposter syndrome or that phenomenon that we're trying to shield ourselves from that. And I'm sure... I was definitely suffering from it. I'm not sure about you, Claire. Oh, don't worry. There's plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, that deserves a podcast of its own. 
But it's it's really about recognizing yourself to say, listen, you weren't just picked off the street and said, listen, you know, tug mm-hmm. out your picked. It's it's really about, you know, you have potential people see that in you. They don't expect you to hit the ground running without getting support from your colleagues. And you can't be successful on your own in an organization is we need each other. We need these social relationships. So there is an onus on, you know, everybody in the organization, not just new hires, but existing people then to reach out to each other to create these, that, that organizational learning. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're, you're spot on. It, it, the onus is on, on everybody. Like if, if it's a manager who emphasizes pushing his or her knowledge then that becomes the norm. And if the man never asks questions and shows um, a lack of knowledge in in a space, then I'm not inclined to do it either because that that seems like it's inappropriate or it's unacceptable or he or she to prove. Um, So for, for, for managers to, I guess, role model, that this, this is acceptable behavior around here. And, it's not just role modeling. It's also like the new generate, the next generation of, of recruits, the, the current graduates, the interns that are going into organizations. They possess a set of competencies and knowledge that is new. It is novel. They have like the, the, there's conversations about how the current generation of children, our children, William, will leapfrog Um uh, so many generations ahead of them because what they're going to learn naturally, which w- w- what, that which will become almost um, robotic for them, uh, subconscious for them, the rest of us will be struggling with trying to, to catch up. We won't be able to catch up with them and, and leapfrog us. They will, they will jump ahead in careers. They will be the, the next top team in organizations and we'll all be looking up at them because of their knowledge and what better way to remain current and up to date with the best available knowledge is to better ask questions and gain knowledge from the graduates and the new interns um, in an organization, the new recruits, whomever they might be. So integrate them in as both they have to learn about the business themselves, but equally they can teach the business a thing or two from from their perspective and that keeps the wheels turning keeps the social networks fresh i remember um teaching this to a group of people and i had a, a very senior um uh, man who ran a very successful consultancy organization and he analyzed he mapped his own social network through the process i was running on the day and when he looked at it to try and investigate the quality of his relationships the majority of his social network, the valuable people, were dead. So the uh, he got quite a bit of an insight into how maintaining keeping your networks fresh, quite frankly, was of was of, uh, was of, of um, very great importance. If you forgive me here, I might have a silly question here, right? Like if you were to create this as an organization of value, or to make sure it's systemic, where organizational learning happens where social networking and relationships, you know, are, uh, are created and enhanced. And you talk about, you know, integration and talked about diversity, you know, how, did, how is this implemented then across the organization without 
kind of making it seem twee, if you wanted to call it that, all right? How do we encourage people to talk? Oh, right. Um, well, there's lots of, I mean, so, some organisations, for example, were during the, the remote working scenario, were arranging uh, Friday coffees or yeah. between groups of people. And I got mixed reports on that in, in various pieces of work. Some people love it because it gives them a mechanism to talk to other people, to get to know other people. And some people hated it because they were already suffering from Zoom exhaustion. Or it's forced. It's forced, exactly. Yeah. It was forced. And it was like every Friday, I have to go yeah. on this. So there was mixed reports, which could go to the foundation of the different nature of people themselves. Yeah. Yes, the, at, at the very basic level is recognizing no two people are the same. And what initiative you put in place for one will engage that person. And what initiative you put in place for another uh, will engage that person. So it's, it's almost implementing multiple strategies to try and get everybody involved um, and, and to get everybody um, to talk to each other. So some people, as you can imagine, would love doing a quiz night or some escape room activity and some people would break out in a sweat at the idea of it and um, those people are possibly more comfortable if it was just a one-on-one -on -one yeah. conversation as opposed to some big group event where you have to demonstrate something so I do think uh, the, the, having multiple um, strategies in your toolkit and throwing them all out there will then try and appeal to the complexity that is human nature when it comes to um, in, in building relationships and getting to know people and how we like to get to know people. Like I love big, big groups. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of people in my life who would rather one-on-ones. Well, say, for example, if it was this was part of your, you say, if this was really valued in the organization, it's something that you could celebrate to say, listen, social networker of the year or something like that you know and you know obviously um joking around here a little bit but is there a way that you could somewhat reward people for mm. all that i could kind of extra endeavor and effort well that's a very uh a very good point and uh william and certainly not an angle that i would have thought of at least in the way you present it but it turns out it's something i did do um with the executive MBA program in DCU, you know, you, there's a student of the year award. So there's a student who uh, achieves the top grade and those types of awards exist in multiple programs. But because of the nature of my background and my observations on how groups of learners, be they students, people on training programs, whatever it might be, interact, people working day to day in a business. What I observed is sometimes there's a person who may not be the most on paper, uh, academically brilliant person in the room, achieving the top grades on everything. But without them, without them, the whole team would fall apart or yeah. the team wouldn't learn as much from each other. And I was fascinated by the fact that those people deserve recognition, to your point, because their net, social network connectors, they were connecting people, they were helping people yeah. learn from each other by virtue of the fact that they were good at relationships. Mm. My person was always brought into the conversation and then people heard what they had to say and got to learn from them. The 
the uh, if the if if a group of people felt you know what I still don't get this this person might be the the person who would go to the facilitator or go to the lecturer and say still a bit stuck here give us more you know yeah this person who was comfortable with relationships comfortable with conversations comfortable with networking and connected yes. so um working with the IITD, the Irish Institute of Training and Development, they came on board to because of the nature of what they do, which is all about helping organizations um, uh, learn and, and, and develop. Um, the IITD came on board with the DCU Executive MBA program to provide an award for that person. Right. And there, uh, it's certainly something organizations could look at. Again, my caution, is that they wouldn't be referred to as like social networkers because especially in this country, uh, that's almost, and I'm using language that I have received from uh, students and from uh, participants on programs that I run. It's almost like a dirty word. You don't want to be seen as a networker because it somehow implies you're strategic, you're using people, you're, you're only talking to people to get something from them. Um, which goes back to what I said, is it shouldn't be that. It should be a reciprocal relationship. So companies need to to draw on creative marketing type people to identify what you call this person. But from my perspective with the DCU Executive MBA program, they were people who facilitated relationship building and learning amongst a group of people that benefited everybody. It benefited the entire class. For the, which ultimately made the class better. It made everybody's students' grades better. It made the experience better. Yeah, and I think it, it's those people who weave that social fabric, who really connect people and join people together. And these pr- people deserve praise, you know, and applause and recognition. We should really celebrate them in environments. I work with a couple of organizations and you know, I was, I was speaking before in a podcast to Gordon Darcy on informal leaders, you know, and I often see these people in organizations where it could be the person in front of house or at reception or something like that. These are the people that are probably most important with the least amount of positional authority mm. or power, mm. but that huge uh, piece of that personal power and that network or it could be a gatekeeper. It could be like, you know, um, an executive assistant, Right, that could be really powerful, but these are the people that you just cannot afford to lose because they tie people together. It's kind of funny, like you know, um, it's about how do you create that platform? Then, because I know, for example, this podcast has created a platform for me to introduce other people, for example, you know, and even for ourselves, it's an opportunity to reconnect. So, I think there's an there is a place where organizations have to create these platforms, whatever form they are to make sure that that environment is created for these uh, relationships to flourish. Yeah. And I think, um, again, going back to some research projects that I've worked on, um, it is about the environment. It's about looking at what is it about the organization that allows people to spend time speaking to each other without any negative repercussions. So, for example, um, in one instance, uh, I remember an organization where the culture was such that if individuals in a certain role were seen uh, in the same role, were being seen speaking to each other, 
the culture was such that it they were um, likely to be reprimanded for wasting time dosing. Wow. Yeah. In actual fact, they were, I mean, maybe not on all occasions, but in actual fact, they were working together to solve a problem that one of them couldn't solve on their own. So yeah. that the climate where people didn't share knowledge for fear of sharing knowledge that would not solve a problem and they'd be reprimanded for it. And they didn't seek knowledge for fear of, demonstrating they didn't know how to do their jobs. So there was no knowledge sharing happening, which means relationships were all in, uh, people were performing as individuals. There was no connection. Um, whereas in another organization, it was almost like a parallel universe. Um, everyone was willing to teach everybody everything that they knew, them, willing to help each other out. Everyone knew who to call on for which problem and the culture enable that. So one level is the culture, and or, sorry, the the organizational um, elements. At another level, it's the social environment itself um, that there is social relationships and that they are um, encouraged and enabled. Referring back to something as simple as the tea break or whom sits on the the bottom floor, whom sits on the middle floor, whom sits in the top. Yeah. We open plan or we closed office or we glass walled or we brick wall that all of those are, are mechanisms that help or hinder um relationship building and going back to the very beginning of this this podcast are we remote or are we are we physically co-located yeah it's another social element and then there's the individual piece which is where we need to look more to our HR and learning development departments. There is those psychological fears of if I share my knowledge, I'm now going to make myself redundant. Um, if if uh, I don't have the skills to ask questions, I'm not comfortable with relationship building. I'm not comfortable with conversation. I, um, you know, so there's individual self-efficacy and, and and psychological factors that also need to to be to be considered um i've published some articles on some of these topics so if people are really interested they can look up my linkedin and, and or my dcu business school page and see some of the articles or just email me if you can't get your access it can't get access but it, it just goes into some of these points um about all the the elements around in an organization that need to be enabled but you've also triggered me another thought is that um back to something i said earlier on we organizations emphasize knowledge sharing in other words if yeah you're being pushed out there so it, it's it's making people into trainers and lecturers yeah. and and uh, putting them on podiums for for what they know so then it's creating that environment which is good of pushing knowledge out but it's also creating that environment of it's better to be seen to know than not know yeah so the you know you're talking about how do we as an organization reward well it's also good to identify how we acknowledge reward and encourage those who are seeking and we don't do that who are seeking knowledge who are um, asking questions because by virtue of asking a question they're making everybody else think how could i do better? how could how could i make this a long-term solution rather than a, a short-term solution so in addition to acknowledging those who build relationships and enable and, and connect. Yeah. Um, it's also about acknowledging those who are not afraid to ask those questions that need to be asked. 
Yeah, and we're coming to the end of the, the podcast here. But, you know, for me personally, in terms of my career, then uh, organizations or um, cultures that I've really thrived in is where people actually made a huge amount of introductions to say, listen, here's William Corliss. Here's the job that he's going to be doing. You know, here's what you need to know about uh, William, you know. And again, in terms of that, I felt comfortable then because the introductions were made and I had that kind of like soft introduction then that I kind of had that little that in, introduction. I kind of knew that person then that I could then feel comfortable saying, well, I've already met that person. So I think there is that step that's really important. If you are an intern or a new hire or a graduate, then it makes it easier then to ask those questions because those introductions are made. And I spent the full week, I remember I was working for Norton Networks many years ago uh, in Galway, and I spent a full week being introduced to people. Now, there's a, it was over a thousand people on the site that time. Yeah. It was brilliant. And by the time yeah. I left, yeah. everybody knew who I was. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it was wonderful. Yeah, and well, you are the the type to put yourself out there anyway and get to know people, which is uh, one of your one of your strengths. But it it again, it triggers the people that you uh, were introduced to. You were you felt uh, I can now speak to them again. Yeah. But from the other, especially for those people who find all of this quite difficult, um, most people who possess knowledge or information or a power position in an organization, they like to they like to be asked a question. They like to be given a platform almost to tell you yeah. what, and what they're good at. And 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 it's almost like a sense of respect, acknowledgement, uh, it boosts their ego almost to to feel they, this person who's emailing me, ringing me, Walking up like you did, William, to to the person speaking to say hi. I am, and yeah. it does. It's something that most humans actually enjoy. They feel, oh, my competence, my intelligence, or something I said resonated to the point that this yeah. is wants to say hello, or wants to ask me a question, or wants to know more, or wants to connect. So, in a, in a way, asking a question or taking that brave step forward to connect to somebody you don't know is actually boosting the ego of the other person. So if you look at it that way, it's a little bit less daunting. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be delighted to, to feel that they merited the question or the interaction. Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, I remember meeting you first, you know, that definitely resonated with me, your style and your expertise. And if there's some key takeaways then from today for our listeners, what might that be? And I'm going to take the opportunity to sell something <laughs> to pitch something That's all right. that might bring the whole thing together. And I think it's it's very valuable based on the conversation we've had. Um, while I'm, while we've been talking about the benefits of social networks and, 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 and we're talking about informal learning, we're talking about task knowledge, and we've been talking about whether we go hybrid or we're, we're, we remain virtual and, and all that. The fact remains that organizations are in a difficult position whereby we're still not entirely sure what does work or what doesn't work because this is new to us. And um, so we're a bit stuck in that regard. Um, no more than uh, Neffet or when, when the pandemic hit. So, you, you know, when we hear now the government speaking or Neffet speaking, you'll hear constant reference to the evidence says. Yeah. So as 
to, to end this and the takeaway, if you're an organization or an individual, then drawing on my uh, background in evidence-based decision-making, here is my takeaway. Um, get as much information as you can, whether it's about knowledge you need or how you learn or other people, um, get as much information as you can from other practitioners in your space with regard to that objective, from other stakeholders to the question that you're, you're, you're trying to address. Collect, if you're an organization, collect data yourself. Like I can talk about here the problems that may arise if we go hybrid and how, yeah. how we need to analyze the, the um, which people are valuable, where they, whom they need to be connected to in order for learning and, and innovation to happen. But an organization can do that themselves, back to what I said about whether it's manually or using PIAC, an organization can do that themselves. So at this stage now, you've got practitioner um, evidence, you've got stakeholder evidence, you've got organizational evidence, and then draw on the scientific, uh, academic, published evidence, whatever is available, um, put all of that together. And I'm not saying do some big, cumbersome piece of work. This is a short, quick... Yeah insight but it's insight from four different sources and by combining those insights those pieces of evidence from four different sources whatever decision you make has an increased chance of being a better decision than if an organization simply draws on one source of evidence or simply takes a guess because like we said about organization design that guess has so many knock-on effects across the organization or knock-on effects in terms of individual employees. It could be quite a dangerous guess, but at least if you're basing your um, decision on four sources of evidence as opposed to one or a guess, there's a better chance that it, 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 it'll be the right step and, and improve things in the right direction. That is a great insight. So I'll definitely make sure that I'm uh, quoting four sources of information <laughs> next time I'm, I'm doing organization design. And if people were to contact you, then how might they do so, Claire? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Claire Gubbins, and uh, there's a DCU um, business school webpage where if you just put my name in the search function, you'll find me there. I'm also part of the Irish Institute of Digital Business, so you can find me there. And I'm on Twitter and I'm just basically Claire Govins everywhere. Um, feel free to email me with any questions or if you want access to any of the papers, because I am an advocate of using science for practice. And unfortunately, it is still the case that a lot of science is not uh, freely available. But I'm happy to share any of my papers um, with people if, if they want them. So, uh, yeah, William, that's that's me. Thank you very much. There, thank you so much my, for myself and from our listeners. You've been so generous with your time today and as well with your academic uh, research. Thanks so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. Thanks, William. Talk to you soon. Okay, see you, Claire. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, 
leadership, team, and organization.